Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Uh, if you've been with us the, the last uh, couple of weeks, we've, we've been in a, a bit of a series on the idea of living a, a beautiful life, right? Uh, and really, that's still very bright. I did promise you that I was going to darken it, yeah? If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, progressively my slides are getting darker. Ryan has not put on his sun, uh, sunglasses, though, so we're, we're making progress, so that's good. Uh, but, but if you've been with me, uh, thank you for, for tolerating the very bright slides, right? I just want to make you feel like it's summer inside, too. Uh, but we've been in this series on, on a beautiful life, and, and really talking about the idea from, from 1 Peter chapter 2 that, that we're not called to live closed-off lives, that we're not called to live uh, defensive lives, that we're not called to live a, a surviving someday sort of faith, but, but that in God, with God, we can, live, we can live thriving lives. In God, with God, we can live good, exemplary, beautiful lives amongst our neighbors, lives that, that make others ask the question, what is it about them? What is it about their relationship to God that, that would draw them closer to God? But also, we acknowledged last week that that can be hard, right? Like living a beautiful life in your own is, is, is pretty tough. And, and so we talked about one of the greatest uh, gifts that we have in living the beautiful lives that, that God has for us is, is prayer. That prayer is essential in, in, in living a beautiful life. And if you weren't here uh, uh, last week, I want to briefly recap because I want to kind of pick up from that. But, but there are a number of reasons that we don't pray. But as many reasons are that, that there are that we, we don't pray, there are better reasons to pray. And in fact, God invites us to pray because our prayers matter to God, because He wants us involved. God invites us to pray because we can trust God, that we, we can bring Him our anger and our hurt and our frustration. And most importantly, the only right way to pray is honest and often. That if we just bring what we have to God, it's much better for us. God already knows anyway than it is if we just keep it to ourselves. That, that prayer is something that builds us. That prayer is a, a gift and a tool for us. And so today, I want to I continue on the, the topic of prayer. But I want to start with a, with a question. Is that all right? It's good. I, I want to ask, I wonder what would happen, and, and this is a bit of a, you've probably been asked this question before from someone holding a microphone, giving a sermon, but, but go with me on it anyway. I want to ask, what, what would happen if all of the prayers you prayed since last Sunday, right now in this moment, all of them suddenly were answered with yes. Yeah, if every prayer you prayed in the last seven days, in the last week was, was answered with yes, what would your world look like? What, what would happen? What would be the result? Maybe, maybe some keys and some wallets are just magically appearing in pockets. Like, oh, it's amazing. Right? Maybe, maybe some of us all of a sudden have, have six packs, right? Like, who knows what's happening? Maybe car parks. You, we go back out and the car park has quadrupled in size. You're like, yeah, I mean, come on, that's amazing. Right? That thing suddenly goes on special. But I wonder how, how many big things are changing in our life? How many dramatic changes are coming about? I don't know about you, but, but I find that question a little bit, a little bit challenging. Yeah, that if, if every prayer that I prayed in the last seven days came true or was answered with a, a yes, would my life or the lives of those around me actually look all that different? And so if last week we talked about why we can pray, this week I really want to look at how we pray. And I want to do so with, with the most extreme example I can think of uh, in mind. If you're taking notes today, uh, I've titled today, How to Pray an Impossible Prayer. If you have your Bibles, uh, that's a good title, eh? You're like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm intrigued, John. I was not going to listen, but uh, now I will. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 10, 
Uh, this is, this is a, a great story. It says this, I'm reading from the NLT translation. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all of the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, for this time together as we, as we uh, join under your word, as we, as we lean in, as we, as we turn our attention to what it is that you're saying. God, I pray that today it wouldn't be, wouldn't be my words, that it wouldn't be my ideas, that that we don't want to, to be convinced or cajoled into anything, but that we want to encounter you. And so I pray today as, as, as we're in these moments, as I'm speaking, that, that your spirit would be moving, that, that you would take these words and, and transform them, use them as, as you want them to be used, that, that we would leave here knowing that we met with you, knowing that your, your word landed in our hearts and that it took root. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I think maybe most of us would agree that this is a, it's an interesting story, right? And, and I skipped over the verses about the deadly hail. So it's, a, you know, the whole thing is, is it's, it's, it's an interesting story. But what's going on, right? You might not be asking that, but you'll have probably learned by now. My favorite thing to say when we're reading the Bible is what's going on and then give a little bit of backstory. So if you'd, if you'd uh, just humor me with it, a little bit of backstory I think is, is helpful here. Let me set the scene. That's okay? That's good. I was going to do it anyway, so I'm glad you said yes. Right, Joshua is, is leading the, the nation of Israel. He's taken over from, from Moses. We all know Moses. Yeah, Moses is, is shown uh, 100% historically accurately, including, it was a hard word to say, including songs uh, in, in the, the best movie of all time, The Prince of Egypt. Right? That's a, if you want a, a homework assignment this afternoon, go home and rewatch Prince of Egypt. It is phenomenal, right? I can't believe that, that Moses was such a great leader and had such a great singing voice. It's just, you know, some people get, get it all. Uh, and so he had led the people of, of Israel from slavery, from captivity in Egypt into freedom. But he, he didn't get to lead them into their home, into the, the promised land. And so Joshua has taken over leading from Moses. This is his life mission. His call is to lead the Israelite people home. But, but to do so, they have to drive the enemies, the people who have taken the promised land as their own, out of the land, which can seem a little bit harsh when we're reading the Bible. They're like, ah, oh, it seemed like they were kind of comfortable there and kicking them out seems a little bit mean. But what we, what we need to understand is these enemies, they represent something in the story of, of the nation of Israel. They represent the, the continual turning away from God and turning to idolatry that the, the people have been uh, caught up in for, for generations. They represent the idols that the nation of Israel have been turning to, the idols of, of uh, blood sacrifice, of child sacrifice, of sexual immorality. The, the list goes on. And so uh, God says you need to drive these people out or else you're going to marry in with them and you're going to take on their idols. You're going to stop following me and you're going to take on what they do. We need a clean slate where it's just me and you as a people that I can reform you because you've been formed by Egypt. Now you need to be formed by me. And so what happens next is Joshua is, is driving these, 
these enemies out of the, the promised land is he gets himself into a bit of trouble. Joshua makes a, a mistake. He makes an alliance with a people called the, the Gibeonites. I was, I was ready for you to go, ooh, right? It's all right, it's all right. We can try it again. We've got plenty of time. I'm planning on preaching until 12.30, so it'll be totally fine, right? He makes an alliance with a people called the Gibeonites. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. That didn't give me shivers. Uh, and so he makes an alliance with these people called the Gibeonites, and, and, and they're one of the enemies in the, in the promised land, one of these corrupting influences. You might think, Joshua, what are you doing? God told you not to make alliances with these people to, to banish them. That was a silly thing to do, which to, to Joshua's credit, they tricked him into an alliance, right? They showed up and they pretended that they were from far, far away. They showed up and, and they'd, they'd, they'd been very crafty. And so Joshua thinks that they're not kind of his neighbors. They're not a part of the promised land. And so he's tricked into making this, this alliance with him. He then he's like, okay, cool. Now that we've made an alliance, like maybe I'll come hang out at your house sometime. That should be like days and days journey away, right? And they're like, yeah, about that. We actually just live next door. He's like, oh, but I've just sworn an oath. I can't break my oath. And so now he's trapped in this alliance with the people that, that he never wanted to, to be in an alliance with. And then he finds himself needing God to get him out of a situation that he got himself into. Because not only is he allied with, with people who should be his enemies, but all of the rest of the kings in the promised land, they hear about this alliance and they think, man, we can't attack Israel. They're, they're powerful, but we could attack the Gibeonites. We could take them out. We don't want anyone trying to ally themselves with, with Israel. And so they attack the Gibeonites. And now Joshua, because of this oath that he swore, because of this peace treaty, he's honor bound on his word before God to ride to the Gibeonites' defense, except it's a trap. It's an unwinnable battle. There's no way that they can come out of this on top. And so Joshua 10 is the story of God delivering Joshua and the Israelites from a battle that they shouldn't even have been fighting in the first place. Which I think is a great place to, to start a sermon on impossible prayers. Because I don't know about you, but I find a lot of the prayers that I don't actually pray, the, the prayers that feel impossible, are prayers about situations that I've made on my own mistakes that I've made in, in my own doing. And, and if I'm honest, I can feel like I made the mistake and so it's my mess to clean up and I don't want to bring it to God because there's a sense of shame of, no, no, God, I made this mess. I need to do something about it. And yet here Joshua is, he made the mess, but he brings it to God and God meets him in his mess. And yet just as Joshua is about to win, just as the, the day is about to be saved, as the, the Amorites, these, these enemy armies are about to be defeated, the sun starts to set. Which is like, well, not a big deal. Just like turn on a torch or something. Like, you know, like, come on, turn on a light. This is not quite what can happen. See, if the, if the sun sets, the, the armies are going to disperse. They're going to escape. They're, they're, they're going to get away and, and they're going to come back another day. The, the whole battle that has happened will essentially be for, for nothing. And, and so as the sun starts to go down, Joshua remembers God's promise that not one of his enemies will stand against him, that they had to occupy the entire promised land. And so Joshua, in what I'm sure must have been a moment of desperation, he prays something that, that he's never prayed before. He prays something that he's never heard anyone pray before. But what other choice does he have? So in front of the nation of Israel, he, he, he shouts at the sky, Son, stand still. Right? He, he puts everything on the line. Just, just think about it for a moment. If this didn't work out, Right? If Joshua is there leading the nation of Israel, he's in the middle of this battle as the sun's setting. He walks out into the middle of the battlefield, yells at the sun, hey, stop. And it keeps on going. We're not reading the book of Joshua. 
right? Like we're going to be reading the book of the niece of Joshua or the nephew of Joshua who took over from their crazy uncle that day that he came out into the middle of the battlefield, yelled at the sun to stop setting, and then was like stabbed in the chest or something, right? Like things are not going to work out well for, for Joshua. See, I, I think there are three steps to praying an impossible prayer. I said that, that we talk about how to pray. And the, the first step today, if you're taking notes, is step one, impossible prayers require humility. See, I, I think if we're honest, there are, there are big, bold, impossible prayers in us that we never pray. And, and I think one of the reasons that we don't pray them is because we have a big what if. Right, like what if I, I pray and it doesn't work? We'll pray for the keys and we'll pray for the car park. But, but if we've got a workmate who is sick or, or a loved one who is estranged or, or if there's a, a serious need, I don't know about you, but I often find that, that I'm not quite as, as willing to, to go out a limb. Or, or maybe I'll, I'll pray it to myself, but, but if there's a moment to publicly pray with someone on those big prayers, we're like, oh, that's a, that's a big ask. Like, maybe God's busy. Like, I don't know how many prayers have been prayed today. Has God got a quota? Like, this is, a, is this going to take up 10 prayers? Like, if, if there's been a lot of car parks granted today, we might be at the quota of prayer being met kind of stuff going on, and this, this one might not land. We, we hold back because we worry, what if God doesn't do what we, what we want Him to do? There's nothing wrong with praying for, for keys and for car parks. God loves it when we pray no matter what. But, but why is it that often we can pray for those comparatively insignificant things more easily than the things that really matter to us? See, I think one of the reasons that, that we often hang back is that we don't love putting ourselves in a place of reliance on God. Right? Impossible prayers, by their very nature, they, they humble us. They remind us of who God is and who we are and what we actually cannot do. They, they, they remind us that, that there are certain things in our lives that are outside of our ability to do anything about. And that feeling of, of loss of control, of not actually being able to scheme our way out of it, is frightening. And taking it to God, bringing it to God, means that we have to have that moment of, of, of truth say, oh God, actually, I can't do this. I need you to do something with it. And sometimes that's, that's scary enough that it stops us from going to God in the first place. Or, or if, our, if our prayer is for, for someone else, we, we put ourselves in the boat with God. Like, well, if I pray for my workmate who's sick to get healed and they're not healed, like, I kind of feel like I'm on the line with God. Right? Like, will they be mad at me if I pray for, for their cold to go away and it doesn't go away? They'll be like, Jono, come on, you prayed for me. Like, what's, what's going on? Penny can be very demanding, you know? Like, it's, it's a hard... That was a joke because she's my workmate. She, she's not demanding. That was, we'll try it again, right? But, but what happens if we pray for someone and, and we go out on a limb for them and, and, and we're, you know, we've got that faith, but, but nothing happens. We'll feel stupid. We'll be like Joshua standing in the middle of the battlefield telling the sun not to, not to set. Well, what happens if it does set? You're going to have egg on your face. You're going to feel silly. People already are, you know, like Christians. That's a bit weird at least. But, but you know, if your faith just keeps tidying off to yourself and a little, but, but once it meets people and, and, and once they, they experience it and encounter it, maybe they won't like you. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll push you away. Or we feel like if the prayer doesn't become answered in the way that we want it to, that, that we did something wrong, which, which isn't true, but it, it takes an uncomfortable amount of humility to say, God, I know that you love this person, and, and so I'm going to pray for them because you love them, and if you work how I'd like you to work, that's up to you, but, but I'm stepping out regardless, asking you for what I think is the thing that you want to do in the situation, right? And, and maybe God doesn't work how we want him to, 
but maybe the, the prayer opens a conversation about faith and the, the conversation leads to, a, to an invitation, to a discussion, to a testimony, and the person that we were simply praying would have a, you know, a cold go away, we end up having a discussion with them about, about the God that loves them and God does something bigger that we would never have found if we hadn't stepped out in faith and humility to simply say, hey, can I pray with you? See, what if God is always at work, but seeing where can be tricky? Here's what I love about Joshua's prayer. It's humble, right? We know scientifically he prayed for the wrong thing. We don't want to judge Joshua because he didn't really know this, but he prayed for the sun to stand still. And, and all of us have, you know, we've done uh, fifth form science. I can't say fifth form anymore because no one does that. It's like year 11. Thank you. I'm old. Uh, some of you are like, you're not old. Just, just go with me, right? It's fine. We're all on a journey. Uh, but, you know, we've done that. We know that the sun does not go around the earth. That was disproved a while ago. We know instead the earth goes around the there you go, right? We've all got this. And so he shouldn't have prayed for the sun to stand still, right? Because the sun's not moving. The, well, it's moving on its own axis, but the earth's moving is my point. And so he should have prayed for the earth to stand still. Like, come on, Joshua, if you're going to pray a prayer, at least pray it right, right? No. What I love is that, he, you know, he doesn't even get the technical details of it right. Sometimes I think that we're like, oh, you know, praying for someone and they need healing. Like, okay, your leg is sore. Where in your leg is sore? Your ankle is sore. Which side of your ankle is sore? Do you know if it's, uh, I, I've run out of uh, anatomy examples to use actually there. I should have thought more about that before I prepped it. But you get what I'm saying, right? We try and get all this detail when maybe we just need to step out in faith and say, God, I, I feel like this is what you're wanting to do. And so I'm asking that you would move in this situation. And so he steps out and he prays this prayer relying on God. And if God doesn't move, he's out on a limb. He's in trouble. He's going to look dumb. Because impossible prayers require us to acknowledge our need for God. But, but, but as I mentioned last week, for some of us, praying big prayers isn't so much scary as it is painful. Right? Maybe you've, you've prayed for, for healing and you didn't see it happen. You prayed for, for restoration and you feel, you feel broken. Honestly, you, you step down in faith and, and you feel let down. Because sometimes in, in life, sometimes we will pray for impossible things and, and we won't see the result that we want We'll feel like we had, man, I feel like, God, you want to do this, and we'll pray for it to happen, and, and what we want it to happen doesn't happen, and I don't have a tidy answer as to why, but what I am sure of is, is step number two, impossible prayers require our trust. See, in, in, in Mark 5, there's a story that I think helps. A, a man named Jairus comes to Jesus, and he asks for his help, specifically asks him to, to come and to heal his sick daughter. And Jesus agrees, which is amazing, but, but on the way to Jairus' house, Jesus gets delayed by people who are wanting prayer and, and miracles and, and healing. And so before they arrive at Jairus' house, some of Jairus' friends arrive with a message. Mark chapter 5, verse 35 says that messages, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. I wonder in that moment, can you imagine being Jairus? Right, there Jesus is, he's answering your impossible prayer. He's making the sun stand still in your life. He's, he's doing the thing that you dreamed of. You're in the middle of a miracle. And then as you are, you must be on top of the world, right? Like, I can't believe that this is happening. Jesus is gonna make this whole situation go right. He's fixing this nightmare. And as you are going home triumphantly, your friends meet you on the way with horrible news. Have you ever been in that sort of situation before where it looked like it was coming together? It looked like it was going to work out in the way that you hoped it would work out. And then it just feels like God disappears in the midst of it. Like God was at work. God was doing something and he got distracted and just left kind of halfway through. 
So this is the place that Jairus is in. It, it doesn't get better, it gets worse, and he goes from needing healing to needing a resurrection. As his friends arrive in the NIV translation, they ask him, why bother the teacher anymore? I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I felt like, man, why bother God? What's the point in praying? What's the point in bringing a, a, a big request, an impossible prayer to God? Because I've prayed for things that I've, I've desperately ached to see happen, and they haven't been, been answered in the way that I hoped and planned that they'd been answered. And, and, and so it can be a natural inclination to think, well, if God didn't do what I wanted Him to do then, and if I feel like I want Him to do this thing now, or, or feel like he, he, you know, it's in His character to move in this way now, then why would I pray this, pray this time if, if he didn't move in the way that I, I hoped he would last time? And Jesus overhears them and he says to Jairus, do not be afraid, just have faith. There's a, there's a whole other sermon in, in, in just that passage, but I want to take you to the end of the story. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion and the weeping and the wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he made, the, he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Koam, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. So I think I can relate to the story because in life, when, when we feel disappointed, when we feel let down by God, sometimes our response is to laugh at God. And, and I'm not saying that as a judgment of that response. I'm saying that as, a, as an acknowledgement of what can happen in us sometimes that we can feel like God didn't meet us in the way that we, we hoped that he would meet us. And, and, and so when we feel that kind of stirring, that unction again to believe for something, to have hope for something, to, to pray something that feels like a bit of an impossible prayer, something that goes beyond keys or a car park, feel like, but, but God, you didn't, you, there's no way you can do that. You didn't do it last time. You didn't do what I thought you would do last time. So, so why would you do it this time? But the Bible says that when we pray impossible prayers, we're to take that, that crowd of thoughts, all the reasons why it can't work out, why, why you can't change, why you can't impact lives, why you can't make a difference, why your family can't be brought together, why, why you can't be healed. And when you're praying the impossible prayer, make them leave. Now, and to be clear, that's it, a big thing to say. Yeah, it's like, a, hey, if you're praying for something big, just take all your, all your doubts, all your insecurities, all your fears, get rid of them, and then pray the prayer. It's like, okay, cool, just write that down. Stop being a human being, full stop, right? Like, how do you, how do, you do that? Right? And I, I want to be really clear, that this does not mean that there is no space for, for doubt in a relationship with God. This does not mean that, that, that we can't wrestle with doubt, that we can't bring it to God. When we're doubting, we, we need to lean into that, right? The, the Bible is full of, of prayers of lament. Psalms, like two-thirds of it are, are prayers, are psalms of lament of God. I'm struggling with this. This is hard. What do I do with it? And so in those moments, pray through a psalm. Pray through Psalm 13 or, or 73 or one of the many others in which David wrestles with his doubts because doubt is honesty, but we need to be aware that while doubt is honesty, doubt is not our God. And it's important not to get the two confused. There's honesty with God and then there's faith in God. And like I said last time, prayer is a lot more about trust than it is faith, right? 
It can be a thing like, God, I don't see how you can do this, but I have trust in your character, and so I'm going to come to you with this request anyway. Because the alternative is that we let our past disappointments shape our current realities. That's the only other thing that could happen. We let our past disappointments shape our current realities. We say, well, I'm not going to ask for God to do anything. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I'm not going to believe for anything, which in the short term seems like a sensible defensive strategy, but in the long term will make us miserable and will ultimately rot us from the inside. So what do we do with our doubts? What do we do with our hurts? What do we do with our our fears? Well, I just want to again say, like I said last week, it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to have questions for God, but we need to take those questions and that disappointment to God. We need to be honest with them. We need to tell them if we're angry or if we're, if we're sad or if we're mad, because if we don't take it to Him and, and process it with them, they go from being a hard chapter in our lives to being the entire story. And, and when we're defined by past disappointments, we're often doomed to a destructive cycle. See, impossible prayers require us to confront our disappointments with God to realize where is it, God, that I'm feeling hurt, God? Where is it that I'm feeling that you let me down? To bring that to God so that we can work it through with Him so that we might get to the point where we can pray an impossible prayer again. Now, that doesn't mean that it's gonna be easy. It doesn't mean when the moment comes to pray for healing and you've lost someone when you really, really wish that they would have been healed, that you don't have that dread in the pit of your stomach. It doesn't mean when maybe that prayer is answered that you don't rejoice at the same time as thinking, why them but not them? There's a whole lot of tension that exists until we see God. But at the same time, we need to learn how to live in that tension so that one thing that happened to us does not determine everything else that will ever happen to us. That we only ever live from a place of flinch and defense because we don't understand why that happened. But just because that happened does not mean that God cannot be at work. Right, I'm sure that, you know, John the Baptist's friends, when Jesus goes around resurrecting strangers and other people are like, what about your cousin? What happened to him? Why didn't you work in that situation where you worked in this situation? And, and I'm sure John and Jesus get to have a great conversation at some stage. But in the meantime, imagine if all of those people, imagine if Jairus was like, well, it didn't work out for John, so I won't approach him about my daughter. Right? There's a bunch of blessing that, that God wants to bring into the world that requires our, our boldness and our trust. My third point, and I'm almost done as the, the band comes up, the, the third step in praying an impossible prayer requires something from us. Right, Jono, the last two required something from me. Well, yeah, but this is in a different way. Because if we're always hedging our bets, if we're always caught up in past disappointments, we're likely to, to sabotage ourselves before we start. Because step number three is impossible prayers require our action. See, notice that although God gave the victory to Joshua, Joshua still had to fight the battle. Right now, again, I skipped over the deadly hailstones parts. I mean, God did the bulk of the heavy lifting, but Joshua was still involved. Joshua was still engaged because the Bible says that not only did Joshua pray that the sun would stand still, but before he prayed that prayer, he was willing to march all night to get to the battle. See, I think that the principle here is if you're going to pray that God would make the sun stand still, you'd better be ready to march all night. If you're going to pray that God would do what you cannot, then there's a place in which we meet His, His miraculous action with our faithful action and we do what we can. 
Now, I'm not saying that we do it to earn God's love or that we, we do it to convince Him to move on our behalf or, or you know, anything in which our action uh, moves Him to, to do something or, you know, God was going to answer the prayer, but He didn't pray it in the right way. That's not what I'm saying. But, but what, I, what I am saying is that God often involves our faith and our actions when He moves miraculously because He wants us as participants, not spectators. He wants us involved in, in how He moves and, and what He and what he does. And I think, I think we know this intrinsically in some instances, right? Last week I talked about the, the Americanism of, of thoughts and prayers. Is that just like, go away, I don't really want to talk to you. I don't care about the situation that you're in, but I'm saying a nice platitude to get you out of my face. Right? That, that there's kind of that thing of, of when a disaster happens, rather than actually being involved in, in helping in the solution, it's just the, you know, the tweets go out, oh, thoughts and prayers, and we feel like that token gesture has, has taken care of the problem and any responsibility we have to, to be hope and love and light in the world. But, but I think in an example closer to home, we can look at Tonga. Right? I'm so glad that as a church that we believe in the fullness of prayer, that we pray for Tonga, and we're praying for lots of things. And one of the practicalities that we're praying for is rain to clear the ash. Right? We need just... We need rain. We need rain to come and, and, and to clear the ash from the roofs, to, to cleanse the drinking supplies, a, a whole bunch of things, to clear the ash from some roofs in which is too heavy and the roofs are going to fall down otherwise if the ash is not taken away. And there is nothing that you and I can do to make it rain. None of us have like rain cloud making devices. None of us are magically in control of the weather. We cannot do a thing to make it rain, but we can pray. But then there are a bunch of other needs uh, of practicalities like, like resource, food, water, building supplies. And we can help there. We can gather resource. We can, we can pull together what we have to be helpful in the way that we can. And so if we say that we're praying for Tonga, but we're not also helping practically where we're able to, it's, it's incongruent. There's, there's something that's, that's disjarring about that. There's a, a, a moment. If we're asking God to help, but we're refusing to be His hands and His feet, there's something about that that doesn't ring true. right? God is not a magic genie who we just kind of point at the problem. God wants us involved. And what happens if we are a part of the solution that we're praying for? What happens if we pray, oh God, you know, Tonga needs food. And God's saying, yeah, that's why I've given you resource to gather food to send to Tonga. And so we pray for Tonga, we pray for, for all of Tonga, and there are some things that we can't change like the rain, but we also put our prayer into action. See, prayer is not a replacement for being a part of the solution. Being a part of the solution is a part of prayer. When we pray, we are moved to action, which maybe we see for others. Like, yeah, that makes sense, John. Of course, I'm not just going to pray that, that God would look after Tonga. I'm going to be a part of the solution. But, but how do we apply that to ourselves? Is there anywhere in your life in which you've been praying for God to move? Praying for God to do something in which there's the opportunity for you to step out with action. In which there's the opportunity for you to to charge forward prophetically as if the sun is not going to set, to start behaving as if God is with you. Where is it maybe in our lives that we pray, God, would you save my friends? Would you you help them to find a, a loving hope in you? Help them to find your love and your truth that we then need to start sharing the faith that we have with them. Not waiting for for some miraculous, I just woke up this morning and I decided to come to church. I heard you mention it once three years ago on a Saturday. But that we would be a people who step out in prayer and action, 
who pray, God, would you help them? Would you meet them? God, would you give me the words to say? Would you give me the eyes to see the opportunities to speak to them about the faith that I have? Where in our lives are we ready? Is God ready to do the miraculous, but He's just waiting for us to step out in faith? He's waiting to use our actions. Maybe you're here today and you're praying for a job. I want to encourage you. Is there something you can be doing? Maybe you're you're able to be volunteering or applying for jobs or doing something other than the words you're speaking. How is your life different to when you started praying? Maybe you're here today and you're, you're praying for reconciliation. But the answer that you've got in mind is the person who, who you have that relational breakdown with, picking up the phone, giving you a call and saying, I'm so sorry, I was entirely wrong and you are amazing. And God's saying, hey, maybe it's gonna take you picking up the phone even though you're sure that you're right giving them a call, saying, hey, look, the disagreement that we have is not big enough that this relationship should be broken. I value you more than I value being right. How can we make this what it needs to be? Maybe you're praying for for advancement at work. What does it look like to, to be diligent, to be working your best to the best of your ability, to be loving your colleagues, to be honoring your boss? Maybe you're praying for something else entirely. But is there something that you can do in the midst of that prayer to move towards what you feel that God wants to be doing? Impossible prayers require us to chase opportunities into the dark, believing that the sun won't set or that God will light our path. You've been humble enough to ask. You've been trusting enough to ask. Now act. Impossible prayers require us to be willing to live out, not just speak out. Church, I'm done in a moment. We're gonna... We're gonna finish, but, but I hope that you found my message today to be simple. I, I think that for many of us, God is wanting to do big things, but we are dreaming too small. And, and for many of us, it's time for us to start praying big prayers, impossible prayers. And that starts with humility, not waiting to ask in the right way, not trying to do it on our own, but, but come to God, even if it's an impossible prayer. If, if asking makes you nervous, then you're probably in the perfect place, but impossible prayers require us to acknowledge our need for God. Impossible prayers require our trust. Maybe today you need to stop letting your past disappointments trap you and, and be bold enough to step out again. Maybe today simply your impossible, your impossible prayer is, is God help me to trust you again. God help me to feel that, that, that I can come to you. That might feel impossible to you today. Maybe simply your impossible prayer is God I want to trust you Help me to start to build that back up. Come to Him with it. Process through how you're feeling. Just be honest. Bring it to Him often. Impossible prayers require us to confront a disappointment with God. Finally, act. Prayer is more than words. We walk it out with our actions. I want to tell you today that I believe God is wanting to partner with us. So where can we be willing, open, and available And I believe that when we are willing, open and available, we'll see God move. Impossible prayers require us to be willing to live out, not just speak out. Church, would you stand to your feet? As you stand to your feet, in a moment, we're gonna gonna finish with a song of praise. But just before we do, I'd like to stay in this moment of reflection. And so I'd like to finish with the, the same question I started with. What would happen in your life if from this moment, seven days later, Every prayer you pray from here on out, God answered with yes. I'm not making a promise. I'm not saying that's going to happen. If you're anything like me, sometimes you pray stupid prayers and, and God is merciful in saying no. But what would happen if we brought them all to Him, smart or otherwise? 
If we just bought them and said, God, this is what I'm feeling. This is where I'm at. God, this is what I'm trusting you with. God, I'm laying it at your feet. And I'm saying, God, would you do this? God, would you move in this way? God, I'm pointing your attention towards something that I think is not the way that it should be. And I'm asking that something of heaven would come to earth in this situation. What would happen if we were a bold enough people to pray impossible prayers as a part of our daily living? Not just to pray for our keys, not just to pray for the car park, but to pray for our friends, to pray for our families, to pray for our workmates, to pray for Tonga, to pray that God would move in our world in ways that make the world better. So as you bow your heads, as you close your eyes, I just wanna give you a moment. I believe that, that each of us here today, we know maybe what our impossible prayer is. But I wanna give you a moment to be bold enough to bring it to front of mind. You just think on that. be humble, to be trusting enough to ask. If it's fixed in your mind, I'd love if you just lift it up to God, whatever that looks like for you. Would you give it over to Him? Maybe it requires voicing it out. Maybe you want to do that now. Maybe you want to do it later. But would you fix it in mind that it would not slip away as you walk out the doors? And then my encouragement to you today would be as we leave this place, how can our actions reflect the desires of our heart? How can we start doing what we can to move towards what we believe God wants to do? Maybe you can't think of an action, but I believe even just looking for it, being willing and open and available to what God might want to do is a great start. His head's about, his eyes are closed, I'd love to pray for you. God, we stand here today as your people in this theater and the fuddy. As we stand here with, with requests, with dreams, with prayers. God, we believe that what is on our heart is from you. And so we bring it to you today and we say, God, your will be done. God, I've got this dream. I've got this prayer. I've got this thing that I believe that you wanna do. Today, I lift it up to you and I ask that you would work in it. God, but I ask more than that, that not just you would work in it, but you would show me how I can be a part of the solution my heart aches for. God, I pray for everyone here today who, who is struggling with the pain of dreaming again, of hoping again, of praying again. Maybe their dream, their prayer today is simply, God, help me to trust you. God, would you meet them in their disappointment, their hurt? Would they know that, that you are a loving and God, that you're a, a big enough God to handle our disappointment, that we can shout at you, that we can cry with you, but ultimately we just need to come to you. God, I pray that today as we stand here in the faith that we have, God, that we would see you move in miraculous ways, that our lives, that the lives of our friends and family, that the, the lives of, of Ototahi would be better because we are a praying church standing in the city asking for something of heaven to come to earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. The church said, Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.